Coming up on this week's show, we wrap up Pride Month 2019 talking about queer history and YA books with Lee Wind. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 194 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Will from WillCanals.com, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Mr. Jeff Adams. Hi, everybody. This episode of the show is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. We'll have more information on how you can join them at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek at what we have coming up for you next week. Thank you, everyone, for joining us once again. Another week, another episode. Um, (laughs) It also happens to be the final week in the month of June 2019, which means uh, World Pride is currently happening in New York City. If you are partaking of World Pride and Stonewall 50, we hope you have a fabulous, wonderful week. Yes, there's so much happening in New York this coming week. Of course, there will be the commemoration of the Stonewall Riots, which celebrate their 50th on June 28th and 29th. Uh, This past weekend, World Pride kicked off. Uh, One of the events, I have to say, made me homesick for New York. Uh, Chelsea Challenge 2019, which is put on by the New York City Gay Hockey Association, was all over my feed, especially on Instagram this weekend. And congratulations to all the players, to everybody who put that event on. It looked like it was the biggest one ever. It's the first time that I know of that it took place over two venues even. So congratulations to everybody. And I wanted to go play some hockey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad you no longer play hockey. It's a dangerous sport. <laughs> I don't like it. He never appreciated when I came home bruised and battered I after a game. I did not. I did not at all. <laughs> plus, plus, you are a little bit aged. Uh, I think it is worth mentioning that not only uh, is this week uh, World Pride Week, um, it is also a certain person's birthday. It's true. I'm going to be... He's, he's, you're even older, if you could imagine. Even older. Do you hear this? Yes, it's true. I will turn 51 on Tuesday. So yes, I am, I'm aged and I will soon be for the AAR penis, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. You and me both, baby. You and me both. That's okay. You're four years behind me, so you still got time. You're still young and sprightly. I'm catching up. I'm catching up fast. (laughs) Um, It's also worth mentioning that one of our absolute favorite shows, Pose, uh, had a phenomenal uh, opening. What, what's the word I'm looking for? The premiere. Season two premiere. Yeah. The season two premiere had some phenomenal ratings, and FX has already given them a go ahead for season three. So, congratulations to Pose, everyone uh, in front of and behind the scenes. Uh, we love it so far this season, and we cannot wait for even more. Yes, very true. Uh, As Pride Month wraps up, I can also remind folks that Tracker Hacker, which is the first book in my Codename Winger series, the young adult spy novel series that I've got, uh, that first book is only 99 cents at all ebook locations through Sunday, June 30th. So if you're looking for a way to get into that series, that is the perfect time to do it. 99 cents is a really good price people. I just want to make sure I emphasize that. Uh, It's a great way to get into the series. Yes. Now, you discovered something this past week uh, that is of note, perhaps, to our authors in the audience or fans of Brokeback Mountain, the novel. Yes. This past week, while you were away on business, I was home all by my lonesome. So I got some reading done. Uh, I also watched some movies, which we'll talk about in our bonus episode uh, that's coming out this week. But uh, back to what I was reading. Uh, For the very first time, I actually read uh, Brokeback Mountain by Annie Prue. And usually I wouldn't necessarily go there because it's, you know, a literary work. And uh, as most of you who are listening know, uh, that is not my jam. Uh, (laughs) But I read it uh, this week for a very specific reason. Uh, First of all, let me say it is as wonderful as everyone says. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a tremendous story. Um, It's actually a a very short novella. It's probably only around 11,000 words. Um, so, uh, I recommend everyone pick up a copy and maybe spend an afternoon with Ennis and Jack. It's a terrific story. Um, 
The reason I read it is that uh, there's a podcast called the Story Grid Podcast, and they've decided to do something a little bit out of the ordinary. They started a series of episodes called the Masterwork Experiment, and what they're doing is they are taking Brokeback Mountain and using the Story Grid methodology to uh, break down all the story elements and the story beats and kind of figure out why this story is so very successful. Mm -hmm. And then essentially take the, the skeleton of the story that Annie Prue created and use that to uh, create and write a whole new work. Um, it's... Uh, being, uh, I guess, the the ringleader of this wacky <laughs> experiment is, of course, Sean Coyne. He wrote the story grid. And um, uh, I'm not sure if any of the authors who are listening are familiar with the story grid. Um, I have both... Um, <laughs> I'm both uh, fascinated and overwhelmed by it. Um, the story grid methodology um, really digs down very, very deep into story structure, which is something I've always enjoyed. Mm -hmm. But the way that they go so deep into the weeds uh, can be uh, uh, difficult and overwhelming. And that's okay. They acknowledge that up front. <laughs> um, they know that. Um, but I thought this, this experiment, um, like going over a work that is familiar to most of the people who are listening in the audience, um, was a really... A really interesting opportunity to not only understand uh, the story structure of a very famous and well-written piece, but also it is a way to maybe understand the story grid process a little bit more. So the story grid podcast and the masterwork experiment started with episode 167, and uh, it's going to be continuing for a couple more weeks. Uh, we both listened to the first episode mm -hmm. where Sean and one of the Story Grid editors, Anne, uh, kind of go over the initial story beats. Uh, and it was pretty fascinating. It was ridiculously fascinating. <laughs> and it's the first time I've heard Story Grid really broken down. And I see why people get overwhelmed by it. But I was also fascinated with the discussion. Yeah. 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 So we will definitely link in the show notes mm -hmm. to that first episode so you could follow along on this if you choose to. Hi. I'm Jay from the LGBTQ romance review blog, Joyfully Jay. At Joyfully Jay, we review tons of LGBTQ romance, as well as romantic fiction and nonfiction. We review ebooks, audiobooks, and even the occasional movie. We typically review about 18 books a week, so Joyfully Jay is a great place to hear about new releases, catch up on books you may have missed, and find some new favorites. In addition to our reviews, each weekday we host an author as our first post of the day. This gives readers a chance to learn more about new releases, get exclusive excerpts, find out about the author, and participate in great giveaways. Each author post on Joyfully J is exclusive, so you get access to book and author information you can't find other places. At Joyfully J, we love LGBTQ romance and are excited to share it with you. Stop by the blog at joyfullyj.com. You can also visit us on our Facebook group, The Joyful Jays. We'd love to have you join us. So we're breaking format a little bit this week and not going to do any book reviews because we've got an extended interview uh, with Lee Wind. Really excited to have Lee here. I reviewed his book, Queer as a $5 Bill, a few weeks ago and really wanted to have him on because that book really focuses on a bit of queer history that not a lot of people know about. And that as we got into talking to Lee, there's so much queer history that he brings up. He also runs a great blog that focuses on YA literature. And it just made sense to have him be with us for most of the entire hour. So mm -hmm. let's get to that interview. Lee, welcome to the podcast. It is so great to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here, Jeff. Now, I recently read your debut novel, Queer is a $5 Bill. In fact, I reviewed it back in episode 189 and absolutely love it. Now, tell people in your own words what this YA novel is about. So... It's all about the fact that I don't have a time machine. <laughs> when I went uh, in 2011, I went to a gay men's summer camp kind of weekend, and there was a guy talking about the letters that Abraham Lincoln wrote Joshua Fry Speed that convinced him that Abraham was in love with Joshua. And 
I just thought he was full of it. Like, how could that have been possibly been true? It's the first time I heard about it. And I went to the library and I got the letters and I read them. And I, um, because the emotions Lincoln speaks about are the same emotions I experienced when I was closeted and dating girls and sort of judging it the right thing to do, but not feeling it. Um, I, I had this moment of sort of goosebumps and I was like, oh my gosh, I think maybe Lincoln was in love with speed. And I thought, oh, if I had a time machine and could go back and tell my 15 year old self that the guy on Mount Rushmore, the guy on the $5 bill, the guy on the penny was maybe in love with another guy, I think it would have changed my whole life. I don't think it would have taken me until I was 25 years old to fully come out. I, I think it would have been a game changer, but I don't have a time machine. So Queer as a $5 Bill is my paying it forward. I'm a writer. I wanted to write the story about a 15-year-old who's closeted and bullied and dating a girl because he kind of judges it's the right thing to do, but he doesn't feel it. And then he's assigned a book report on Lincoln, and he gets this same book that I got from the library, and he reads the actual letter where Lincoln is asking his best friend, after the best friend has gotten married to a woman, are you now in feeling as well as judgment, glad that you're married as you are? From anybody but me, this would be an impudent question not to be tolerated, but I know you'll tolerate it from me. And he ends the letter saying, please tell me quickly, I feel very um, impatient to know. And we don't have Joshua's answer because Mary Todd burned all the letters uh, on that side of the correspondence. But we do know it was only four weeks later that Abraham married Mary. So to me, it felt like, wow, that, like what would happen if a kid today found that out and decided that, he wants the world to know because everyone loves Abraham Lincoln in our country. And he thought, well, okay. So if he tells uh, the main character, Wyatt, if he tells the whole world that Abraham Lincoln was in love with another guy, he thinks it's going to change how everyone feels about gay people. Cue the songbirds and the rainbow and the happy ending. I do think if in our culture today, if someone was to go really viral with the information that Abraham Lincoln was wrote these letters and was in love with Joshua Fry speed, I think there would be a huge conservative backlash and media firestorm. And that's really the, what I wanted to show in the novel, how this uh, Wyatt, how Wyatt, this main character, makes his way through this uh, incredible maelstrom of uh, fury that he's ignited by just sharing what actually is part of American history. And then to kind of ratchet the stakes up even further, I wanted to make it like how is it important for a teenager today uh why why is abraham lincoln important so i kind of situated him in lincolnville oregon a town i kind of made up uh i his parents owned the lincoln slept here bed and breakfast and um when the economy of the town kind of starts to tank and they're threatened with losing their business they bring in a civil rights attorney to help and she is an openly gay son and sparks fly between the two teens uh, but the main character, Wyatt, can't do anything about it because a gay kid saying Lincoln is gay is really different than a straight kid saying Lincoln's gay. And he's faced with this choice. Does he uh, follow his heart and see if something might be happening with this guy, Martin? But the cost of that is letting this secret fade back into history and nothing will ever change in our world. Or does he sort of sacrifice himself and his own happiness and persist with the story that Lincoln was indeed in love with another guy and see if he can change the world a little bit, even though it won't change for him. So that's the story of Queer's a $5 bill. And I, f I feel like even before I read this book that I had heard, you know, some of the rumblings that Lincoln may have had a relationship, may have been gay. So I think it, it kind of dances around the edge of what some people know because I can't even begin to tell you where I heard it or or anything else just that it had been kind of back there somewhere in the memory of I don't know something if that even makes sense well it's been a big thing on uh, Will and Grace the the revived uh, uh, series they've been doing a whole run on jokes about Jack doing a one-man play called Gabraham Lincoln, uh, <laughs> which is sort of all about Lincoln being gay, which I think has been good on the one hand because it's letting more people know that this is something that people are talking about, but it's also doing so as if it's a farce, as if it's not true at all and completely made up and a completely a complete flight of fancy on the part of this bigger-than-life character, when in fact, if you read the letters, 
it is remarkable how, to me, it feels so clear that, that Lincoln was in love with, with Joshua. What was your process for researching the history? Because there's more in here than just the letters themselves. There's a lot of Lincoln history. There's comparisons drawn between Lincoln and Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, in my review, you know, I kind of likened it a little bit to, you, you know, you go see Hamilton and you get this big infusion of history while you're wildly entertained. Uh, what was kind of your process around gathering all the pieces you needed? Well, first of all, thank you for comparing it to Hamilton. That is like the best compliment ever. I need to embroider that on a pillow or something. Um, <laughs> I, I did a lot of research. I, I started out with the letters and then I realized that I just didn't know enough. Um, I looked around and I live in Southern California and it turns out in Redlands, California, there is an Abraham Lincoln Memorial Shrine and Museum. And it's like a like a three-room edifice that has display cases and a gift shop and so many of the things that ended up being part of the bread and the bed and breakfast that Wyatt's parents own were kind of taken from that real world experience of going to this place and seeing that they actually had you know, Civil War chess sets, and they had, you know, little teddy bears that were gray or blue, and they had, you know, Confederate flag and a Union flag, and uh, it, that was hugely helpful. And then just starting to dig in deeper um, to some of the things I discovered there, there's a, a whole sort of subplot about how Wyatt feels that there's no one he can actually talk to, and so he's developed this strange Di internal dialogue with this image of a soldier in the background of one of their display cases. And I actually have a photo of it from when I went to this um, sh Lincoln shrine and there it, it was there. It was behind all these um, ammunitions. And I don't know that my gaydar works 150 some years later, but uh, it definitely there's somebody in that there. One of the soldiers in that photo does look like he could be gay and I thought wow what if what if this was the only way that Wyatt felt that he could have somebody that recognized who he was and how sad that was that he didn't really have a friend and that was why I was excited to to create the character of Martin so he had somebody were you a history buff all along or, or no I I hated history and, <laughs> and I'm sure that there are all these teachers that are like hitting their foreheads in shame right now. But like, honestly, I never had a history teacher that kind of got me inside excited about the stories of history because I really feel like the way we teach history um, today and my daughter's in 10th grade uh, right now and, and her history textbook could have been my history textbook from the 1980s where basically it's the stories of rich, white, straight, cisgendered, able-bodied men from Europe. And, you know, it's, history's more than that. There are the stories of disabled people and people of color and women and men who loved men and women who loved women and people who lived outside gender boundaries in history. And I kind of feel like we have to crack that facade of that false facade of history and let people know that that there's all this amazing light and you can see yourself in history. And, you know, Lincoln and Joshua are just sort of like the, the tip of the iceberg. There's, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt and Lorena Hickok. There's Mahatma Gandhi and his love for this German Jewish architect, Herman Kallenbach. There's the Pharaoh Hatshepsut in Egypt. There's Sappho. There, there's so many stories that impact us today, but we don't really know them because they don't get taught. Or when they are taught, they're not taught in a sort of queer, inclusive, or respectful manner. So I kind of feel like now I love history. And in fact, I'm writing, I, I wrote this novel, but as I was writing the novel, there was so much history. There were so many things that came up, so many more pieces of evidence, uh, so many more pieces of the pie, things that made me surprised. Like, I didn't really know that Lincoln was sort of a racist, even though he's credited with freeing all the slaves. He had this whole plan that he signed off on uh, with Congress at that time to sort of, you know, explore shipping all black people back to Africa. And I didn't know that. And the deeper I, I dug, 
when I found a piece of information that kind of contradicted what I knew, I really wanted to find a way to include it in the story because I feel like that's what we should be doing. When, when we find things that show that history is complex and that people are not black and white, that it, it just makes it all so much more real and so much more uh, relatable. And if we can see reflections of ourselves uh, in the past, like if we know that there were men who loved men in the past, then we can believe that we have a place at the table today. And if we know that we have a place at the table today, we can envision a future that is sort of limitless. And I want that for everyone that doesn't have a that doesn't feel like their history is included. I want it for all the women and all the people of color and the disabled people and the women who love women and the people who live outside gender boundaries too, because that's, you know, we call it LGBTQAI plus or quilt bag or whatever, but really the job is about being an ally to other people. And me as a gay man, I have to think, well, how can I be an ally to everybody else? And hopefully they're thinking the same thing. And that's how we start to create societal change. That is wildly profound. <laughs> and especially given that this episode of the podcast is dropping uh, in the last week of June as, you know, the, the queer community celebrates Stonewall 50. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I love I love that we're celebrating Stonewall. I love that the um, gender non-conforming people that were there, the transgender uh, people, the drag queens are getting some respect now uh, that they were part of that and they were in fact the leaders of standing up to the police finally. But for many, many years, Stonewall had um, a banner, the Stonewall Inn had a banner outside that read where pride began. And I think that's really misleading. And we talk in the queer community in America as if that's where pride began, right? Like pride, hey, we're celebrating 50 years of Stonewall, hooray. But wait a minute, Carl Maria Curtinberry came up with the word homosexual 100 years before Stonewall, right? Like Lincoln and Speed were writing these letters to each other 20 years before that. Um, you know, you can go back thousands and thousands of years. There's, there's this beautiful story from China before China was unified um, where uh, the, the state of Wei, the, the guy that ruled it, his name was uh, Duke Ling, and he had a guy he loved whose name was Mizzy Zia, and they were walking through the orchard one day, and Mizzy Zia picks a peach off a tree and starts to eat it, and halfway through he stops because it's so delicious he wants to share it, and he gives the half-eaten peach to the Duke, and the Duke makes a really big deal out of it, like, I can't believe your love for me is so profound that you would sacrifice your own happiness to give me the peach, and Something about that moment captured the imagination of people in that pre-unified China. And for over a thousand years, the way in Chinese that they said gay love was love of the half-eaten peach. Like, we have this amazing, amazing history, and we just need to kind of break through that facade and let all this amazing rainbow light shine through. So that's kind of what I feel my mission is, to kind of let people know that we have all this amazing history and we can start to dive into it. Is this all history? Cause you mentioned earlier that you're not, you weren't a history buff and you hated history. Have you gathered up all of this new knowledge since you were researching to write queer as a $5 bill? Yeah. So while I was writing queer as a $5 bill, like I mentioned, there was just so much stuff that came up, so much evidence that I was like, hmm, I can't really cram all this into a novel because at the end of the day, the novel's really about a kid today. And I didn't want it to feel like a historical novel. I wanted it to be this page turner. So I realized that maybe it was two books. Maybe there was the novel, but what if there's a nonfiction book as well that presents the primary source materials and like a pop-up video thing on MTV, kind of, or VH1, whatever it was, uh, helps interpret, or at least how I interpret the thing. So like, there's all this talk about Shakespeare's sonnets and how, uh, while they're very rarely taught, uh, over a hundred of the sonnets, Shakespeare wrote to another guy. And these are love sonnets that include really, really famous lines that we all recognize, like, shall I compare these to a summer's day that are more worthy and more yet more temperate. Um, that's a line that Shakespeare wrote to another guy. For, for hundreds of years, they had changed the pronouns of that in one of the folios. So it ended up being that for hundreds of years, people thought that Shakespeare wrote all those poems to, another, to, to a woman. 
uh, to the Dark Lady. Uh, but when they when the Riverside Shakespeare came out, um, uh, the the editor of that section he talked about how well we've restored the sonnets to their original you know pronouns, but you shouldn't mistake that you know the affection men felt for each other in the 1500s was nothing like the homosexual attraction of today right he wrote this in 1970s and i'm like really really because you know a man in hue all hues in his controlling which steals men's eyes and women's souls amazeth sounds pretty romantic to me so what i realized what i wanted to do is to create a book that wouldn't be just a book about lincoln and speed but it would be a book of about the broader thing, about men who love men and women who love women and people who lived outside gender boundaries. So there are 15 chapters. Uh, one is about Lincoln and Speed, one is about Shakespeare, and then there's like, you know, a bunch of other amazing people in history, and it really presents the primary source material. And I'm really excited because today is, the, the, that we're recording this, is the day that I'm signing the contract for that book with a publisher. Oh, that is so, exciting, congratulations. Thank you, yeah, it's been a long journey, um, a long and crazy journey, because the book originally was set up at one of the big five publishers, and I worked on it for a year and a half uh, with them. It was approved, we were talking cover design, and then two weeks after our current president was elected, they canceled the book. I think they were concerned that it was going to be too controversial, um, they just didn't have the courage to proceed, and that was really devastating. And it took a long time to find a new home for it. Uh, there were a lot of shenanigans, a lot of plot twists. The agent I had had at the time turned out to be a criminal who, well, she was telling all her clients she was submitting things and that they were having all these pending book deals. She was lying, and um, the book was never submitted anywhere, uh, even after after it was returned, uh, the rights were returned to me. And um, and the novel, uh, Queers of Five Dollar Bill, ended up getting crowdfunded because I thought that I was being, well, stonewalled by uh, the children's book industry and they didn't want word to get out about Lincoln and Speed so much so that no one would uh, even respond to the submissions. But so I, I crowdfunded it. I, I have a blog. Uh, I think we're talking about that a little bit later. Um, but I have a bunch of people that know who I am and what I was trying to do. And they all supported me to um, not just publish the book professionally, but also what I wanted to do is raise enough money to donate at least 400 copies of the of the novel uh, to donate to LGBTQ and allied teens. And the Kickstarter funded in six days. It was amazing. And then it went on for another 24 days. So we ultimately raised enough money to give away 910 copies. So that's been really, really gratifying. That's incredible. And I mean, it's, it's really one of the great things about publishing today is that there's really no more gatekeepers out there. Anybody can publish, get it on Amazon, get an audiobook done, etc., and and get their messages out there. There still is the thing, though, that being being with a traditional publisher, you generally can reach more, especially when we're talking about like middle grade, uh, you know, or books where you're going into libraries. Um, which I think that this nonfiction book really is, a, a, you know, hopefully it'll, it'll sell like hotcakes. But um, also I, I do think that, you know, to get it adopted more broadly into schools and into libraries, I think that it coming from a, an established publisher is really useful and really helpful. So um, I'm, I'm excited about that. I do think that, yeah, that, that the, there are many, many fewer boundaries than there used to be uh, or barriers than there used to be. But at the same time, we have the additional challenge that while access to the marketplace has never been easier, the marketplace has never been bigger. So getting noticed in a marketplace where there's over a million books that are published every year now uh, in the U.S. Uh, is a challenge. And that's why it's so important to have safe places to find out about these things, like your your podcast and my blog. Yes, absolutely. To spin back on $5 Bill a little bit uh, and talk a little bit more about it, what were your inspirations for both Wyatt and Martin and the type of teenagers they would be? When I was growing up, or when I was coming out, I think, it felt like you couldn't be gay if you lived anywhere except for one of the big cities like San Francisco or New York. And 
I really wanted to have a character that felt connected to nature and that one of the one of the thematic subplots would be could he be himself where he was could he be himself in small town America that's in a rural community um it was there a way through for him to be successfully himself and authentic. I feel like I spent so much of my life being inauthentic that um, I, I want to do everything I can to help teens be authentic now. So uh, on the one hand, Wyatt was the study of a kid that was on a journey to be authentic. And Martin was the flip side of that. Martin was the character that already was authentic and was already reaping the benefits of that level of confidence and you know as soon as you for me when I came out it was like this huge burden off of me and suddenly I realized it, it the weight of it was on everyone else right like if they had a problem with it that was their problem but it wasn't me hiding or holding back or pretending or acting which I did for so long uh, my husband and I have a joke where um when we when you go to a Starbucks or something, they're always like, "What's your name?" And my, every time, my husband changes his name. Like he just makes up different names every single time. And they ask me, and I, I'm always Lee because it took me 25 years to even start to like myself and to accept myself. And I finally got here. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not anybody else. I am me. I am Lee. I, I, it's funny, I took a spin class and as a motivational thing, the spin instructor goes, who do you want to be today? And I'm always like, <laughs> me, I want to be me. I, I've spent so long being other people. Um, and then also, it was really cool when I was creating Martin's character to think about him being African-American and that being an opportunity for me to talk about the complexity of Abraham Lincoln and him not being so perfect and uh, explore those themes a little more. And I, it's funny because I hear from a lot of people how much they love Martin. <laughs> and yeah, he's, he's pretty lovable. Yeah, I, I really liked them both in their in their individual ways, uh, for sure. Wyatt, I grew up, I spent like middle school, high school, college in Alabama, so I could totally relate to where Wyatt was in his journey. Like he knows, but there's no way he's telling anybody. Mm. You know? And I didn't have a Martin for a best friend, so I also loved Martin because he was the ideal friend to have for Wyatt in the moment to show him yeah. what could be. Yeah, exactly. What do you hope the audience takes away from this kind of history fiction mashup? So I think a lot about words, you know, being a writer. And I think that the word homosexual isn't helping us. I think that if we, because we're so reactive and weird in our culture in America about sex. And we are obsessed with it and we don't want to acknowledge it. And especially we don't want to talk about it to teens. So when we talk about homosexual rights and homosexual history, all straight people are hearing, uh, you know, to, to paint with a broad brush, is they're thinking about sex and that we have sex differently than they do and how do we have sex. And I just don't think that's particularly helpful. And I think that if we talked about love as sort of the the binding element that makes me and my husband and our teenage daughter a family, or the love between you and your husband. Um, if we talked about homolovable rights and homolovable history, I think we'd have a very different cultural conversation. So what the tagline of my book is, what if you knew a secret from history that could change the world? And I love this because it gets a little meta, but it's the challenge that Wyatt faces, right? He finds out this secret about uh, Abraham Lincoln writing in, in these letters and maybe being in love with Joshua Fry Speed, and he decides that he's going to tell the world because it could change the world. And then it's the same challenge that I faced because I knew the secret from history and I felt this thrumming sense of responsibility, like I had to share it, I had to get it out in the world. And because I wasn't getting anywhere with traditional publishing, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to crowdfund it. I'm going to get it out in the world myself. And then what I'm really excited about is that it's also the challenge that the reader faces. Because 
when you've read the book or you've even heard me talk about the book, uh, you know that there is something more to the story of Abraham Lincoln that has been taught to you. And it's that first crack in that facade of history. And it makes you think, well, wait a minute, when you see the picture of Mount Rushmore or when you pick your kid up at the Lincoln Middle School or you're driving on Lincoln Boulevard, you know, does it occur to you that you know, our culture has not shared that part of who Lincoln is. And does it make you feel a little more pride about the fact that, you know what, we do have history, queer people, and we need to lean into it. And we have the opportunity to, because there are hundreds of years of historians that are going to argue with us and that are going to say, yeah, yeah, it's not true. It was very typical for men to share beds on the frontier. Not that Springfield, Illinois was the frontier, but for four years, you know, Abraham and, and Joshua shared a bed long after Abraham could afford his own bed. Well, it was cold. Okay. Yeah. But <laughs> they shared a bed for four years. It's not proof, but it's interesting. And I think that as all those things add up, we can all make our own determination of what we think. You know, is it important for me that I convince the world that Abraham Lincoln was in love with Joshua Fry's feet? No. I think a lot about um, Anne Lamott. She's a, a writer and she writes about writing. She has a beautiful book called Bird by Bird. And in that book, she talks about uh, lighthouses and how they don't run all over an island looking for boats to save. They just sort of stand there and they shine. And I think a lot about that, like I need to be a lighthouse. Like I found out this amazing, cool stuff about history and how it relates to today and how empowering it is. And I just wanna shine. And if people are interested, they can come closer to the light. And if they're not interested, no worries. You know, watch out, there's some rocks over there. <laughs> Any chance of a sequel? Cause I know I would love to see more of Wyatt at Martin at some point. I haven't really come up with a good angle on a sequel. I had this funny idea for uh, one of the other pieces of history that really struck me was Mahatma Gandhi and, and the story of his love for Herman Kallenbach. And we talk a lot about Gandhi having this sort of breakthrough where he talked about it doesn't matter whether you pray facing left and I pray facing right. I may have that reversed. Um, we're all praying to the same God. Like he had this huge breakthrough, not just in terms of, you know, uh, peaceful uh, protest, uh, Satyagraha. Um, he changed our world in such profound ways. And at the same time, he was in love with this German Jewish architect named Herman. Uh, uh, Kallenbach. And if he was in love with a Jewish guy, like that's actually really interesting and really germane. Like maybe that's why he had that inspiration, that insight about it doesn't matter who you're praying to because it's we're all sort of bonded by this sense of spiritual connection. Like that's really exciting. And I feel like there's so many stories like that, like Eleanor Roosevelt and Lorena Hickok. Eleanor Roosevelt was the woman that after you know her husband died she went to the un and became this advocate for the universal declaration of human rights and would she have done that if she didn't have this experience of being in love with another woman and feeling that sort of outsider status while at the same time being this empowered woman in in in, in our world history starts to open up like a flower so I don't have an exact idea for a sequel for, for Wyatt and Martin, but um, I, I, I will put it in the hopper as, as ideas. I, oh, the well, reason I brought up um, Herman Kallenbach and, and, and Mahatma Gandhi was that I thought that would be an interesting thing to talk about a, a kid finding out about that and how that would have changed their life. And then I thought, well, wait, that's the exact same story over again. <laughs> I don't need to do that. I already wrote that. So um, for now, I'm going to focus on the nonfiction piece and uh, and some other some other fiction writing uh, that I want to get to. That actually, I, I'm very inspired by by your book too, um, by the uh, uh, Codename Winger series, because I I love the idea of mashing up a gay teen with a sort of spy thriller. And I can't wait to read what you might do with that. So please please bring that to to the marketplace. <laughs> Thank you. I keep thinking, is there a way I can get gay history in here somehow? <laughs> I haven't figured that either yet, but, uh, you know, I'll work on it. 
Now, you'd mentioned earlier that you've got your blog, uh, which I was so excited to find uh, right around the same time as, as finding the book. You've been a YA blogger for more than a decade now. I believe you said it'll be 12 years in September. And the blog is called I'm Here, I'm Queer, What the Hell Do I Read? What led you to starting that? Thanks. Yeah, there was no safe space to find out what were the books with queer characters for kids and teens. And I remember there was a review on Amazon for a really sweet picture book um, called The Family Book by Todd Parr. And it's sort of a cartoony book. And there's like one page it has uh, it says um, some families look alike. And it's a bunch of dogs that they all have similar features. You know, some families look different. And it's a tree with all these different kind of animals in it. Some families adopt children. And it's a bunch of ducks. And on the back of one duck is a penguin. And then you turn the page and it's um, some families have two moms or two dads. And it's a picture of two women and two men. Uh, and then it continues. And there was a review um, pretty high up that said, if you tear out the page with the two moms and two dads, then this is a lovely book on diversity. And I thought, wow, way to, way to miss the entire point of what diversity is. Yeah. And I got so upset and so hurt, you know, because I'm a gay dad. And, and I thought this was an amazing book for my daughter, but also for all of my daughter's classmates to, to see and recognize. Yeah, yeah, you know, some families do have two moms and two dads. And to Amazon, that wasn't hate speech. It wasn't, it didn't violate their terms of service. It was just somebody's opinion, albeit kind of, uh, you know, nasty, uh, or at least I, I interpret it as nasty. And I, it got me thinking about how there really needed to be a safe place online where a kid could go and find out what were the other, what are the books that were out there. And when I started, there were maybe 30 books total um, that were inclusive of um, LGBTQ uh characters and themes for kids and teens and what's happened over the years is that by keeping this curated safe space where i'm not vetting all the books but i'm i'm making sure that no nastiness is happening on the site we have over 500 books now in many many categories and it's been really exciting to see that sort of explosion of content and yet it's that sort of similar problem again. Like now suddenly there's so much content. How do you make your way through it? How do you find the, the things that you want? So the idea behind it was to post about the books, what's queer about the books, and then let readers add their own reviews. Um, there hasn't been a lot of review. There's just too many places for people to leave reviews these days. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't see a lot of that, but I also didn't want to make it, you know, Lee's favorite book site, because I think that that has a limited value. I thought that there was more value in it being a site that felt really comprehensive. And that's what I aim for. And then it just became a place where I could talk about the stuff that I really care about, that I want queer and allied teens to know about. And over the years, what I've discovered is that it's about a, the, the readership is split into thirds. There's about a third uh, queer teens uh, and uh, queer and allied teens on it. There are about a third of librarians and teachers and people that work with LGBTQ teens. And then there's a whole bunch of adults that are sort of reading the books for themselves mm -hmm. and sort of healing their inner their inner teen. And I think that there is a healing that happens. Um, every time I read a queer book that has a happy or even a hopeful ending, there's a healing that happens. And I think maybe that's part of why romance as a genre is so popular. I know Will was saying in a previous episode that uh, people get on his case for like ruining the ending, but it's all romance. You know it's going to be a good ending. And I think maybe that's why people turn to it. So I know how... Um, how empowering it is for me when I read something where I see a reflection of myself and it's a positive thing because when I was growing up there was nothing to read nothing positive um, the only queer characters were like evil pedophile villains it wasn't particularly helpful yeah that that's unfortunately the case in in, in the history that you and I have from that from that era uh, when we were growing up in the decade plus that you've been running the site how other than just more ya how have you seen it all evolve there's more and there's better and there's deeper and there's less preachy and there's room for it all 
I, it's funny, there was a, a, a kind of push a few years back for, well, maybe we're beyond the coming out story. And I kind of got my dander up a little bit on that. And I felt like, well, we're never going to be beyond the first love story when it's, you know, a straight romance. So Andrew Solomon has this great book that he wrote called Far From the Tree. And it's a not it's a nonfiction piece. Um, and he talks about how, uh, you know, when your identity is where you're, where you're the apple that does fall far from the tree or falls from the tree and rolls across the, the you know, down the hill and across the orchard, when when you're queer, most likely your parents were not. And so you have this moment where you have to find your sense of community outside of the family that you grew up in. A lot of other identities, um, you share that. Like usually, uh, like me, I was raised Jewish, and so I, you know, my parents were Jewish, so I sort of shared that identity. For all of our identities, we sort of, are either sort of close to the tree or far from the tree. And when you're far from the tree, there's more work involved. So coming out, I think, is going to continue to be this universal thing because just like, you know, my daughter has two dads, but she's straight. So in a funny way, she's going to have to, you know, she had a bit of a coming out where she had to tell us um, sort of, you know, abashed, you know, hoping that we'd be okay with it, that she was uh, straight. And we had a good laugh about it because, you know, it, it's not it's not that big a deal for us. We just want her to be her authentic self and to be happy. So we do want to have coming out books. but And we also want to have books where being gay, like uh, your character Winger, Theo, um, where it's the least interesting thing about him. I loved when you said that in, in your interview. Uh, because yeah we want those stories too it's like in in acting right in uh, improv the rule is yes and so we want these books and we want those books we want the fantasy we want the romance we want the science fiction we want all of it because truly if you look at the numbers of books that are, are published there you know traditionally there are about five thousand books published a year for kids and teens and then um if you look at like the the world of self-publishing, let's say that 5,000 are doing it really beautifully and the books are indistinguishable with the quality of that from traditional publishing. That's 10,000 books a year, a year. And you have all those years going back too. So what we want is the opportunity to sort of have all of those books. And right now we still only have like 500. So we have a long way to go. We need lots more books. We need lots more voices. We need people writing their own voices stories. We need more diversity included in everybody's stories because truly you're not going to have a classroom today that doesn't include someone that's LGBTQ. That's very we need true. It all. Given that you had the blog, did you always see yourself eventually writing the YA novel that you did? Or did that just kind of manifest itself because you had the story to tell i've always been a writer i've written i remember one summer when i was like in between ninth and tenth grade in high school i was like i'm gonna write a novel <laughs> I, I sometimes think of those poor characters still trapped <laughs> in in the uh in the broken space station that was orbiting the earth and i'm like oh man i have to do something with that someday i don't think i will um but <laughs> I, I've always written. Uh, I think that uh, for the last 14 years, I've really focused on writing for kids and teens. Uh, I also write uh, picture books and middle grade. And um, when I found out this thing about Lincoln and Speed, it really inspired me to focus on writing that as a, as a novel. I think that the blog has been a way to have my voice heard in a in a more direct way and not wait for someone to tap me on the shoulder and say, okay, Lee, we're ready for what you have to share. So that's been really empowering. I remember when I started the blog, there were very few people reading it and I would get all excited. I'd be like, I'd tell my husband, hey, 15 people went to my blog today. <laughs> and I was so, so excited. And now um, all these years later, we've, we've past 2.6 million page loads i get between you know 15 to 25,000 page views a month it's it's remarkable and humbling and also a really cool responsibility to to continue to maintain this safe place 
and at the same time, I'm trying to keep writing and write the work on the new stuff, which uh, has been really a, a good thing because balancing the day job and the blogging, uh, there's a lot. But I have stories I want to tell, and I'm going to keep trying to tell them. Good, yeah. Keep keep putting it out there because we we always need more, to be sure. Uh, for people who haven't seen the site yet, and we're certainly going to link to it in the show notes, uh, it has an amazing hero image across the top of uh, the superhero. Uh, where did that come from? Uh, and, and where did the name come from uh, for folks who, who who might question the name, too? Because I, I have a pretty good idea where the name came from, but let's hear it from you. Sure. So I'm here. I'm queer. What the hell do I read? is a play on words of uh, something we chanted in ACT UP in the 80s and 90s. Uh, I'm, it, it, the chant was, I'm here, we're here, we're queer, get used to it. And I thought, well, my issue is a little more, what the hell do I read? Because I felt so starved for any books that included somebody like me. I mean, you know, I grew up and I really and truly thought I was the only person in the world that felt the way I felt about other guys. And which was super ironic because I have an older brother who's uh, five and a half years older and he's gay too, but we never spoke about it. Uh, we were the children of immigrants and uh, when my parents came from Israel, they sort of brought all their homophobia with them. And uh, the American culture at the time was super homophobic, especially where we lived outside Philadelphia. Um, there was It was not a safe place. And it's so amazing to think that you can grow up and feel like you're the only person and everything I read I was obsessed with this series by Anne McCaffrey called the Dragon Riders series mm -hmm. and there was this super between the lines sort of thematic thing that you could maybe interpret that there was gay stuff happening on that in that world but you had to really stretch for it and looking back i think well maybe that's why i was so obsessed with that book uh, with that series because there was some faint, not even mirror reflection, but like, you know, the gleam off a tarnished piece of silverware where I was like, wait, 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 maybe that's me. Um, so, uh, so that's where I'm here. I'm queer. What the hell do uh, I read came from the image happened a few years later. I had been running the site for about two years. It had been doing really well. And I realized I wanted to have a customized image and yet it's a pretty wordy title. So I realized I needed an image that didn't have any additional words to it. So I, uh, I contacted someone I knew, an artist I knew, Jim DiBartolo. And he, I said, look, I need an image that says empowerment. Uh, and he came up with this sort of Superman, su superhero moment of like ripping the, over, the, the denim shirt off. And there's this sort of T-shirt underneath with a sort of superhero logo, which is the website, which is leewin.org. And it was funny. We tried to play with the, the, the sort of partial face that you see. We tried to, you know, could we make it a person of color? Could we do some things with, you know, the physique? But ultimately, it was sort of an avatar of me. And it took me years to admit it. Um, <laughs> that that's sort of what, of course, it is that it's 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 an avatar of me. But I I um I'm not I don't have that good a jawline. <laughs> But at least in my mind, I think that that's, that's, uh, it's, it's been this sort of symbol of empowerment. And that's really what I hope that people get from uh, visiting the site, from reading anything I write. I want them to feel empowered. I like that. That's a, that's a great story behind that. Thanks. So relying on your, I'm going to call it a YA expertise because of the site that you run. What are three or four titles of, of current YA that you, you would recommend to our audience to take a, to take a stab at? Sure. So um, I, I have to start with uh, Carry On by Rainbow Rowell. I know it's not super recent, but this is, the, this is the, Harry, the gay Harry Potter book that I wanted so badly. And I was so frustrated that J.K. Rowling didn't include um, Dumbledore's being gay in the canon um it sort of was outside the books that that revelation happened and then you can go back and sort of you know read subtext and stuff but i really was hoping that there would be some sort of you know on the page queer love or something and it didn't happen there was really nothing and um you know rainbow rowell she wrote uh the, the two books one about 
the girl that writes the fan fiction um, and then which is called fangirl which is really good and then there was this book which was the fan fiction uh, that ended up being a huge success on its own um, called carry on and I don't want to say too much but it is absolutely brilliant and if you are queer or love queer stories and you had any connection to Harry Potter and that sort of world of magic you've got to go read this it's just wonderful Excellent. I, her books have been on my TBR forever, and I actually need to like take the leap and read them. Read this one first. It's just you will be so happy you did. So you mentioned the the nonfiction that you've just signed the contract on, and other stuff from noodling around in your head. Anything else you want to shout out that's coming up soon for you? So there there are a bunch of things percolating, but nothing has come to full boil yet. So I will uh, let you all know when it does. That is fair. I, mean, I, I can't wait to hear what they are because I think that, yeah, given, having read the one book from you, I'm looking forward to reading so much more. Uh, so where can people keep up with you? There's leewin.org, as we talked about, which is the I'm here, I'm here, I'm queer, what the hell do I read site? Any place else people should be looking for updates. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm playing around with Instagram. I'm trying to do this thing. I had uh, the idea that we could do a, a hashtag queer history is everywhere. And I wanted people to upload photos of Abraham Lincoln or the word Lincoln, wherever they saw it and just start posting it on Instagram. It hasn't exactly caught on yet, but um, I still like that idea. <laughs> Maybe our um, podcast listeners will play along with that. Oh, yeah, that would be really fun. And also, I mean, as as you know, more queer history happens. I was speaking at the Bay Area Book Festival recently and someone came up after my panel and they said, did you know that uh, Babur from the Babur Nama, uh, when he was uh, a teen, he was in love with another boy? I was like, really? And I totally, I have sitting on my desk right next to me right now, the Babur Nama. And indeed, when he was 18, he was in love with this other boy. And it's so exciting to find out this stuff. So I feel like because it's been hidden, the more we can crowdsource this information and share it and then all amplify each other, I think it's very, very exciting. Very cool. So we will link to all that stuff, the books we talked about, everything else in our show notes. And uh, Lee, I'm so glad we got the opportunity to talk, spread the word a little bit more about this book and the website. And thank you for all you're doing to get more new, more out there about YA literature, too. Thank you, Jeff. I, I really want to say thank you to you and to Will. I, I'm really a fan of the podcast and getting to be on it is a real thrill. So thanks. This week's interview transcript was brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the author interview for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at biggayfictionpodcast.com. Yeah. And of course, in those show notes, we'll also have all the books and things that Lee talked about as well. Very big thanks to him for coming and hanging out for such a, an extended amount of time with us. One of the things that really resonated for me inside his interview was his talk about the need to be a lighthouse. Uh, and he talked, you know, he talked about how he found out all this amazing history and how it relates to today. And he wanted to shine a light on that. And I think it, it's important, I think, for all of us to shine a light on the positive stuff and the informative stuff where we can, especially in these times that we live in. I know, exactly. As I was working on the transcript for this particular episode, one thing that I was struck by uh, in this particular interview is that Lee is so very um, engaged with the community. Uh, it's very clear that he is passionate about books, which, you know, makes us like him all the more. Mm -hmm. uh, plus, he's also really well-spoken. Um, it's like, dude, get your own podcast. You're amazing. <laughs> I don't know how on earth he would wrap that into his already insane schedule. But, he, he's a busy guy. <laughs> but yeah, Lee, if you ever want to do a podcast, that'd be really cool. <laughs> okay, guys, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. Just a quick reminder before we go. Um, hey, I'm sure if you're a longtime listener, you probably know that we have a Patreon page. Uh, Patreon is a way for fans to engage with all kinds of artists and writers, musicians, and podcasters as well. It's a great way to support the kinds of creative content that you enjoy the most. If you're curious about what kind of bonus material we deliver to our fans every single month, just go to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. Now, Coming up next week, we have Annabeth Albert. She's going to be returning and discussing about 
uh, her brand new series, The Frozen Hearts. I'm looking forward to this interview. You have raved about these books, Mm -hmm. and I look forward to hearing Annabeth tell us all about them. Yeah. So, guys, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. For detailed show notes and links to everything discussed in this episode, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday at all major podcast distributors. You can also find us on YouTube. I'm Derek McLean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.